This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. And now let us prepare our hearts to read God's Word. Uh, the Word is taken from, as what we have listened to, Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. And the reading uh, is taken from, the word is taken from the New International Version. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 to 15, I'll read. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Jerubbabel, son of Shittiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. This is what the Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is a time for you to, is it a time for you and yourselves to be living in your panel houses while this house remains a ruin? Now the Lord, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thoughts to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but not, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thoughts to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring tim- down timber and build my house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains in a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crop. I call for a drought and on the field and on the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else on the ground produces, on people and livestock and all the labors of your hands. Then Jerubbabel, son of Shittiel, Joshua, son of Dosedek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the house obeyed the voice of the Lord God and the, and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord the Lord their God had sent him, and they feared the Lord. Verse 13, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shittiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of, the, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the four and on the twenty-fourth day of the sixth month. This is the word of the Lord. Now it's the time I hand the time to Pastor. Hey, welcome everybody. Uh, it's really good that we are beginning this new book on the book of Haggai, and I hope that you're really excited to uh, to study it. So let's go to God in prayer now. 
as we ask him to help us to understand his word faithfully. Okay, let's bow our heads in prayer. Uh, dear Father, as we come before you today, we want to thank you so much for watching over us. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks clearly. And we do pray that we may listen, truly listen and apply to our own lives. And we know that we can only do that through the help of your Holy Spirit in us. And so we ask that it may work in us mightily so that we may truly be challenged and taught by your word today. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, um, as we come to this time of COVID, uh, I guess one of the things which is really, really important uh, is testing, right? Testing is really important because, uh, you know, we need to find out whether we are infected or not. So in the world that we live in, uh, there's all this thing about testing, testing, and testing. So we have a PCR test, right? The polymerase chain reaction test where, you know, you get swab and then uh, you get uh, your swab taken to the clinic and then uh, it gets gone, gone to the laboratory and it gets tested and you get result back within a day or two. Okay, then if not, you also have your ART test, which is a rapid antigen test. And again, this was the one where you buy from Guardian or Watson's or something and you you bring it home and you do your own test and then you find out for yourself uh, whether you're positive to COVID or not. Uh, and then recently as well, we were all given these oximeter things, which uh, I was playing with the other day, where you're supposed to find out whether you have enough oxygen in your blood so that you will be able to find out whether you need to go to hospital or not. And so all these things are all really important, right? All these different tests, the PCR test, the ART test, the oximeter test, now, these are important because we want to find out whether we have COVID. Now, wouldn't it be really good if you had some sort of spiritual PCR, ART, or oximeter test? A spiritual test which will teach you whether your relationship with God is going well or whether you are like dying or really sick from uh, your relationship with God and the way that you act towards God. Well, I think today is really good because we're coming to the book of Haggai and in many ways, Haggai acts a bit like a spiritual PCR or ART or a oximeter test, which kind of measures, is a bit of a measuring barometer to the state of our relationship with God. Now, for many of us, uh, we probably have never really studied the book of Haggai. Maybe we haven't read it. If you have your own, like, you know, hard copy Bibles, you maybe even find it really hard as you open it to find out exactly where is it that we can find Haggai in the Bible. So we need to have a bit of background as we look at the book of Haggai. Now, the book of Haggai is what you call part of the post-exilic prophets. Okay, so what does it mean to be a post-exilic prophet? So as we look at the Old Testament, there are a few key dates that we kind of like have to lock into our minds as we read the Bible because it then makes it really easy for us to understand what's happening in the Bible. So the first key date really is, uh, okay, so Haggai is part of the post-exilic prophets. So the first key date really is 922 BC, right? 922 BC. And this is where God's people split from the northern kingdom in Israel and Judah. Okay, so you have the northern kingdom, Israel, splitting with the southern kingdom, Judah. And this happens in 922 BC. So can you remember it? That will be really helpful. Then the next important date is 586 BC, right? 586 BC. And this is where King Nebuchadnezzar 
the king of Babylon, conquers the southern kingdom, Judah. Okay, so this is a very, very important date. 586 BC is when the Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom, Judah. Now, as a result of that conquering, uh, the people are taken into exile, right? So the, the, the southern kingdom, the people, God's people living in Judah and Jerusalem, they're taken into exile into Babylon. So 586 BC, that's when Judah is destroyed. People are taken into exile. And also in 586 BC is where the temple, the great temple which Solomon built, was destroyed by the Babylonians. Okay, so 586 BC, temple destroyed. Now, the next important date then is 539 BC. Okay, 539 BC is where King Cyrus of the Persians, he comes and he conquers the Babylonians. Okay, 539 BC, he comes and conquers the Babylonians. He has this huge kingdom and uh, he defeats the Babylonians. And what happens then is all the Jewish people, all of God's people who were conquered much earlier on in 586 BC, they are now allowed to return back to Judah return back to the southern kingdom, and they are given a permission by King Cyrus to go back to rebuild their cities and rebuild their temple. And that's where we find ourselves in as we come to Haggai. Because Haggai is post-exile, see? The return of the exiles, post-exilic. And Haggai really is a very, very short book. Okay, so here are the post-exilic prophets, uh, people like Haggai, people like uh, Zechariah and Malachi, these are the post-exilic prophets because they come after right, the 70 years of captivity. Now, the book of Haggai actually is a very, very condensed book. right? It's not, it's not like a very long, long book. It's only two chapters and it only really is concerning four months. Okay, So when you calculate the time of Haggai, it's from August 29th, 520 B.C., to December 18th, 520 BC. So it just captures a period of four months. And Haggai really is a one-topic prophet. Okay, he doesn't talk about a lot of things. You know, some prophets, they talk about all sorts of things under the sun. But this uh, Haggai, prophet Haggai, he's only concerned in one thing. And what is he concerned about? He's really only concerned about the temple, which was not rebuilt. And so by 520 BC, it had been... 18 years since uh, Cyrus had come to power and allowed the people to go back to the promised land, to Judah and to Jerusalem. But 18 years had passed, but the temple had still not been rebuilt. Now, that, I guess, raises a few questions for us uh, because the temple has such a, such an important place in the life of God's people. Because as we have understood in the Old Testament, right, the temple was where the presence of God was supposed to be. God was symbolically and physically dwelling in the temple. And also, the sacrificial system was meant to take place in the temple. Now, we know in the book of Ezra that uh, when they first came back from uh, Babylon, they did kind of like set up this makeshift altar system. But it wasn't really quite the real thing. I mean, they, 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 they presented their sacrifices on this makeshift altar, but it wasn't part of the temple structure, right? That never had uh, got completed. So as we come to the book of Haggai, these are all the historical context and all the questions which are kind of like surrounding uh, the rebuilding of the temple. So with that in mind, let's now look at the book of Haggai. 
So let's look at the first three verses, which are really, really important. So it says, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panel houses while this house remains a ruin? Okay, so the first thing we notice is very, very clear from these three verses that Haggai is not speaking for himself. He is speaking for God. And so if you can see here, just in the first few verses, it says, uh, as you can see, first thing, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. So we know it's not Haggai speaking, but God speaking. And as we go through the book of uh, Haggai, we see this phrase repeated over and again. You see the word, the Lord Almighty. If you are uh, using the ESV Bible, it is the Lord of hosts. It literally means the Lord of heavenly and earthly armies, the powerful God, right? The universal rule, Lord. And so when this universal rule, Lord, this Lord Almighty speaks, we should be listening, okay? So Haggai is bringing this message from the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. And he says, these people say, now I think this phrase here, these people, as you can see down below, is very important. It's a bit like, you know, uh, for those of you who are kids, right? I know that uh, in the past, uh, when my kids did bad things, I will go to my wife and I say, hey, you know, uh, your son, you know, your son did this, you know, your son did that. And in the same way, when God says, these people, there's this sense of distance, right? There's this sense of distance. There's this sense of disassociation. There's this sense of displeasure. So God is not happy with these people. He doesn't say, my people. He says, these people. And what are these people saying? These people are saying, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. And this is the key question, the key issue, which is being dealt with in the book of Haggai. The time. Time is a very important concept here. The time, right? When is the right time? Why haven't they built the temple? Now, when we look at the NIV, and I think even the ESV, this idea of time doesn't come through as strongly. But if you look at the more word-to-word -word translations like the NASB or other translations, this is what literally is translated word for word from the Hebrew text. The time hasn't yet come. The time for Yahweh's house to be built. So the question is, what is the right time for the building of the temple? Well, the passage, right, goes on. Okay, so uh, the idea of the time, right, is it time? Okay, so the, there's a contrast, right, because in verse 2 it says, these people say the time, right, the time is not yet come. The time is not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then God says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panel houses while this house remains a ruin. And so there's this huge contrast that God is making. You're saying there's no time to build the temple of the Lord's house. But at the same time, you yourselves are living in your panel houses while my house remains a ruin. So the first thing we see here is that 
while God's house is a ruin, right? So the idea of ruin here is the idea of a, a desolation, a waste, uninhabited, uh, the idea of uh, destruction. Okay, so in Jeremiah 33, this is the same word that's being used here, a ruin, right? So the idea of a desolate place, uninhabited, homeless. So what is God really trying to say? Well, first and foremost, he's saying, look, you yourself saying that it is not yet time to build the temple, my house, but yet you are living in panel houses while I live in a ruin. Now, the idea of panel houses gives the idea that uh, not only have they built their house, but they've got their interior designer to come and to give recommendations about uh, you know, all the furnishings. Uh, the fixtures, the fittings have all been put in place. Uh, the the, the grow hay uh, shower fittings have been put in. Because the idea of paneling is the idea of actually putting wooden panels inside the walls already. So here they are. Not, if they, not only have they built their houses, but they are living in a sense in its completed structure, right? There's a sense almost of luxury. While at the same time, God's house is a ruin. You know, terrible, it's desolate. Is destroyed. But also, I think there's a further parallel, a further comparison. Because the idea of ruin here captures the idea of desolation. So he's saying, look, you are living in your penthouses, but I am homeless, right? I have nowhere to live amongst you in one sense. And so this is a very important um, a uh, 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 challenge by God, confrontation by God. He's not saying, well done, you know, good on you, you know, patting them on the back. He's actually saying that he's very unhappy with them. There is distance, there's disapproval, there's disassociation because they're focusing and busy on their own houses but neglecting the temple. And so the passage then goes on in verse, um, oops, let's move on to the next one. The passage then goes on uh, to verse 5. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down the timber and build the houses so that I may pick, take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord, because of my house, which remains a ruin. While each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crop. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine, the oil and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, on the labor of your hands. And so here, there is this repeated challenge, repeated reflection question that God, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, give his people. Give careful thought to your ways. Reflect on what's happening around you. Doesn't mean much to us living in Singapore in 2021, but for God's people in 520 in the promised land, God, in a sense, had challenged them to take the spiritual equivalent of a PCR test 
or the spiritual equivalent of an ART test or spiritual equivalent of an oximeter test. Because as they entered into the promised land many years ago, right? Oh, yep, okay. As they entered into the promised land many years ago, after God had rescued them out of Egypt, God had given them the land, okay? The land of Israel. But before they went into the land, God had made covenants with them, contracts, agreements with them, right? Between himself and the people as they went into the promised land after they left Egypt, wandered around for 40 years. And as they went to the land, God made them covenants or contracts. And this was uh, reflected and recorded for us in the book of Deuteronomy, okay? So here, before they go into land, they're given the covenants by God. Now, these covenants were based on obedience leading to blessing, rebellion leading to curses. So you can see that up here in this picture, right? Blessings from obedience, sorry to decide, curses from rebellion and disobedience. And they should have seen from what was happening that actually the covenant curses were coming upon them, right? The covenant curses from disobedience were coming upon them. They were planting much, but they were harvesting little. They were eating, but never enough. Drinking, but never had their fill. They were wearing clothes, but they were not warm. They were earning wages, but they were losing money. They were drought in the fields. And so as we look at Deuteronomy, which is the next, oh, the next passage. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 28, which I have here. Here, one set of the covenant curses, right? So the Lord, it says in verse 8, will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. So the promised land is it coming in. In verse 15, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You'll be per- cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. The crops of your land and the calves of your herds and lambs of your flocks. You'll be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. The sky over your head will be bronze and the ground beneath you iron. You will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little because locusts will devour it. You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or gather the grapes because worms will eat them. And so that's why God here repeatedly asked the people in Haggai, consider your ways, consider your ways. Can you not see what is happening here? Can you not see that the covenant curses are coming upon you that by not building the temple and by being busy in your own houses, you have triggered my anger, the covenant curses. And so as we come back again to the passage, we can see that there is this direct correlation between their actions in not building the temple and what was happening to them. So look at what it says there in verse 9. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, it says that I blew away, right? God blew it away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, 
while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. So who is ultimately responsible for the unproductivity of the land? In one sense, it is God, right? God is the, is the chief person that causes all this unproductivity. But on the other hand, it is because of them, the people themselves, because of their inability or unwillingness to build God's house while they're busy with their own houses, which causes what happens today. And so fundamentally, Haggai says that they have a problem with their priorities, right? It's a priority problem at the end. And so verse 3 is really a parallel to verse 9. So when God says, is it a time for you to be li- you yourselves to be living in your panel houses while this house remains a ruin? Then in chapter, uh, sorry, in chapter 1 verse 9, he says, because of my house which remains a ruin, because each one of you is busy with his own house. So those two things are coming up straight in view here, right? What are they doing with their time? And what are they busy with? And so fundamentally what happens is God is accusing them of having the wrong priorities and therefore living in a disobedient way before God. They are neglecting God's things, busy seeking their own things. They're saying not yet time. They have no time for God, but they are busy giving time to themselves. Now, in terms of application, very important that we focus on the biblical theology and see how it fits for us today as Christians in Singapore, 2021. Because obviously we're not God's people, the Jews living in Jerusalem, the promised land, in sorry, in 520 BC. So we are no longer living under the old covenant. We are not living in the promised land. So we cannot use this passage here as a text for the prosperity gospel. Okay, so many years ago, I went to a prosperity gospel mega church with my wife. It was just before Christmas time. And during the service, the, uh, the pastor came up and said, okay, because it's just before Christmas, whatever you give to church will be doubly blessed by God. Not just blessed, right? But doubly blessed. So you should give as much to church now so you'll receive your double blessing in your finances, in your investments, in your career. That is absolutely wrong, 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 okay? It is so wrong. This is not what Haggai is saying at all. We are not living in the promised land. We are not living under the old covenant. God is not making us those promises. At the same time, if you get retrenched, or you lose your job, or you don't get promoted, it's not because God is angry with you. I mean, if you did something wrong, then maybe he is. But, but generally, this is not what the Bible is saying. If you get retrenched, you lose your job, you don't get promoted. It's not because God is angry with you in a covenant way. So we're not meant to apply those lessons to us. But the lesson that we can apply is our priorities. When we look at the book of Haggai, in a way, it is also a spiritual PCR test for us, a spiritual ART test for us. It's a spiritual uh, um, oximeter test for us. 
are we neglecting God's things and busy seeking our own things? Are we saying to God, not yet time, right? We've got no time for God. We're only busy with ourselves. Because Jesus says exactly the same thing in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon of the Mount. So he says, right? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, or you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So here Jesus is saying exactly what Haggai is saying. What are our priorities? Are we busy only seeking our own things, or do we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness? Are we saying to God, not yet, not yet to your kingdom and your righteousness? I'm busy with other things. The passage then goes on in verse 8 onwards. And here's a bit of a summary from verse 8 to verse 12. So God says, go up into the mountains and take down timber and build a house so that I may pick, take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai. Because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Okay, I want you to pay very, very close attention. God doesn't say, go up into the mountains, take down build, uh, timber and build a house so that you may be rich. Build a house so that you may be prosperous. Build a house so that you may have blessings. Rather, what does God say in verse 8? God says, go up into the mountains, bring down the timber, timber, Build a house so I may take pleasure in it and I may be honored or glorified. Now this word here, or this phrase here, which says, I may take pleasure in it, is often used in terms of God accepting sacrifice. God taking pleasure in acceptable sacrifice. So in one way, one way of understanding this uh, phrase here is that the building of the temple itself is an acceptable sacrifice to God. Or another way of reading it is, it's also an illusion for how when the temple is built, God may accept the sacrifices which are later sacrificed in the temple. Now, the building of the temple brings honor or glory to God. And we're going to be talking a lot about God's glory in the next two sermons. So that's very important too. The giving of glory to God. So here we see that the people hear the word of God. They give glory to God by their actions. They obey the voice of God. And they fear God. And I think that's a very important lesson for us, right? As we listen to the book of Haggai ourselves, do we hear God? Do we then honor and glorify God? Do we 
obey God and do we fear God? Because by doing so, the people of Haggai's time, instead of investing in their own panel houses, they started investing their time in the house of God. And instead of investing in our own houses, we should invest in the kingdom of God. So let's hear God's voice, glorify God, obey and fear God. And the last section is the promises of God. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. On the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Now, I want us to pay close attention again. It doesn't say in this section, verse 13, God doesn't say, I will be with you when you complete the temple in five years' time, right? He says, I am with you. I am with you. So God promises that he now will be with the people because they hear what he said, they glorify him, they obey him, and they fear him. His presence among them is not because physically he must dwell in his house in the temple, but rather his presence among them comes about because they have now come back to the covenant they have heard, they glorify, they obey, and they fear. And that's wonderful, isn't it? Because before this, before they started work on rebuilding the temple, God was against them. God was away from them. But now he says, I am with you. I'm no longer away. I'm for you. I'm no longer against you. Now, again, very important for us to use biblical theology to see how it applies for us today as Christians and not Jews. And so we also learn that, uh, oops, i move forward. We also learn how um, today the temple is no longer this physical temple in Jerusalem, right? We, we don't make pilgrimages to go to Jerusalem, to go to the physical temple in Jerusalem because it's no longer there. So what is the equivalent of the temple for us today? Well, the Bible tells us, actually, that as Christians, the temple is not a physical place anymore, but rather the body of Jesus Christ. So in John chapter 2, this is what it records for us. Then the Jews demanded of Jesus, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled what he had said, that they believed the scripture and the words Jesus had spoken. So the first thing we learn is the temple is not a physical temple in Jerusalem because that's gone, but rather it is in the risen body of Jesus Christ. But we also learned as we studied the book of Ephesians a few months ago that the temple is also ourselves as we are built 
into Jesus as the chief cornerstone. So it says that in verse 19, chapter 2, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become the holy temple of the Lord. And in him too, we are being built together to become a dwelling by which God lives by his spirit. So what is the temple today? The temple today is not the physical temple in Jerusalem, but the body of Christ and we ourselves as the church being built as living stones onto the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a very important lesson for us because when we build a temple, we're not like the people in God's time in Haggai where we use bricks and mortar and uh, you know uh, labor in that way. But rather, today, as we build the temple of God, we build the temple of God by serving one another. So again, in Ephesians chapter 4, it is Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, this is super important for us to know because I think today in the world that we live in, uh, I was reading these books, right? Which says that part of the problem is that people now see church as a consumer mentality, right? As a consumer mentality. Uh, you know, church is no, I, I got this references from uh, these books I was reading. So people see church no different from going to a cinema or a club or a gym or, a, you know, or something like that. So the way that they know and live for God is all mixed up. And so we think of church as a consumer where I go to church, right? As a consumer church, I go there to be fed and to be served by others. But the biblical picture of temple is I am the church. And because I am the church, I come to serve one another to build up the temple of God. So in conclusion, um, ever since uh, I started ministry, I've uh, always filled out timesheets. It's part of my training as an accountant, I suppose. You know, we're always filling out timesheets to, to charge the clients. And so you know what timesheets are, right? I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're a student or whether you are a working person or whether you're, you know, you, you, you're doing other stuff, working from home. But you know, timesheets are helpful, I think. Because timesheets show us how we spend our time, okay? how we spend our time. And that's one thing that we've learned today about time and what we're busy with. So what are we busy with? Right? If you fill out your timesheet, what are you busy with? What do you spend your time on? Now, you could be busy with many things. If you're a housewife, maybe you're busy getting the kids fed, putting the meals on the table, getting the house clean, uh, you know, making sure everything is okay. But the problem is that if you're busy with all these things, but you're neglecting, you have no time for God, for the kingdom, for his righteousness, for the temple of Jesus Christ, then Haggai is saying, consider your ways. If you're a student, maybe you're very busy 
busy with your studies, busy your CCA, busy your tuition, busy with all sorts of things, your exams. But you have no time for God. You're neglecting God, right? Kingdom and righteousness and the temple, which is the body of Christ. Then Haggai is saying, consider your ways. If you're a worker, you're very busy at work. You, you know, your mind is always filled with work. You've got lots of emails, lots of things to reply. But you have no time for God. No time for God's kingdom. No time for God's righteousness. No time for his body of Christ. Then again, Haggai is saying, consider your ways. Right? I've met many people. I said, I'm very busy. I've got no time for God. You know, when the kids grow up, ah, okay, then I've got time. Not yet. Not yet. Or maybe you're a student, you say, I've got no time for God when I graduate, you know, not yet. Or maybe you're a worker and you say, you know, maybe when I become the boss, I'll become, uh, you know, less busy. Not yet time for God. Well, the problem with doing that is, is that you need to consider your ways because the book of Haggai is saying in many ways that this is like a spiritual PCR test, right? a spiritual ART test, a spiritual oximeter test. And if you are too busy for God and you're saying to God, not yet, then the danger is what God says in Haggai applies to you. When he looks at you, he doesn't see you as my person, but he sees you as this person. God is not for you, but God may be against you. God may not be with you, but instead he is away from you, far away from you. And the great danger is, instead of receiving the promised blessings of God under the new covenant, you are actually outside the blessings of God and will receive his curses instead. So Haggai says, consider your ways. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly ask that you may help us to take to heart uh, the lessons, uh, the strong lessons of Haggai chapter 1, that we will learn from your word as the Almighty to his people, that we may have the right set of priorities in our lives, that uh, we may not be busy seeking all the things of this world, but having no time for you, no time for your kingdom, no time for your righteousness, no time for the body of Christ. Help us, dear Father, to see that we cannot keep saying, not yet, not yet. But today that we may realign our priorities and seek first your kingdom. Seek you first. Seek your righteousness first. Seek serving the body of Christ first. And indeed, help us to then see that in every way you are with us. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Um, now we have a breakout time and discussion time. Uh, there are questions there for us to challenge ourselves and to, to, to understand more into the, what we have heard. Uh, so I hand it over to the host to break us out into the rooms. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. 
For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.